Hey everybody, Chris here. Today's board meeting is a little bit different than ones we've done in the past. Um, instead of Nate, I'll be talking with our strength and conditioning coach, Paul Corsaro. And I just didn't want all of you who are expecting Nate's smart-ass remarks and one-liners to, uh, to be surprised when he wasn't here. But he'll be back. All right. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. And this is Paul Corsaro. And together we form Hans and Franz. <laughs> You're familiar? Yes. Okay. If any of you out there are not familiar, turn this off now and just go Google Hans and Franz and watch some of that shit. We're here to pump you up. Um, we're sitting here in the... I don't even know. We, we didn't decide on a name for this thing. The power company spaceship, I guess. That's the only logical option. <laughs> yeah. It is the StarCraft. She's right. It Starcraft. is a StarCraft. There we go. Slide in truck camper in the Red River Gorge. And Paul came down from Chattanooga to revisit the Red, which is where you spent some fun college years. College, and, uh, high school. Yeah. Spent a lot of time here. Yeah. And just so we could record some podcasts and climb on some amazing sandstone. And you brought the good weather with you, so... Yep, as we sit in the camper with the rain yeah. coming down. Well, it's good all day. Sure. So sure. I'm, I'm fine with the rain at night as long as it's good during the day. Um, you want to tell the folks what the topic is today? Cool. Yeah, so we're going to talk today about uh, some of our top five reasons why we think strength training is important for the sport of rock climbing. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know Paul already, um, Paul is a strength trainer. You just took the CSCS, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist test. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten the results back for that? Yeah, I passed it. Okay, so yeah. Paul's now CSCS yep. as of very recently. Yeah. Um, and Paul's one of the most effective coaches I've ever watched teach how to strength train. Uh, in fact, my wife will not listen to me at all, but she loves to be coached by Paul, so... I like it when Paul's around, and I should just shut my mouth more while Paul's around. So <laughs> so if you ever have the chance and you're in Chattanooga to visit Crux Climbing and Fitness, is that what it's called? Uh, Crux, Crux Conditioning. Crux Conditioning. Then you should definitely do that and and take a session from Paul and go hang out and check out the facility. He's got a tension board in there. Yeah. What else is happening in there? Yeah, so we got kettlebells, barbells, we got a tension board, um... Working on getting a campus board in there as nice. the climbing season comes in. That's getting delayed a little bit, but um, that'll be in there. And then, you know, we've got some cool stuff happening the next year as well. Cool. Starting to build it out for just all physical training and um, physical training and climbing performance. Yeah. So. Looking at more climbing space in the future yep. at some point. That's the plan. Cool. And like Paul just said, his, his facility is based quite a bit on strength training. And Paul knows what the fuck he's talking about, so... We're going to come up with our top five reasons here. Number five, and I feel like this is a pretty popular one lately, and for good reason, um, that resiliency and injury prevention is a really great reason for climbers to be strength training. Mm -hmm. um, why climbers in particular, why should they be strength training as a means of prehab injury prevention? Um, you know, pretty much a strong joint is going to be not is going to be less likely to be injured. Um, you know, we have the opportunity when we're strength training to get into some of these joint positions a bit more controlled than we normally would. Say, you know, you're climbing and you know you're in a hard gaston moving a foot pops and you just put all your weight on that shoulder without any warning. Yeah. You know, if you've built up preparation in your tissues to handle loads like that there's, you know, a higher probability that's going to be less of a problem when you've spent some time in controlled situations, loading the tissue, stressing the joint, and signaling your body to adapt to handle those positions and um, forces. Yeah, totally. And those forces are can be really big. Like, yeah. you might think, oh, climbing isn't that much force. It's mm -hmm. not like I'm 
dinoing and crashing down on holds every move, but all it takes is one move to mm-hmm. completely wreck your shoulder or wreck your elbow or wreck your fingers or whatever. Yeah, um, just from a basic, you know, physics perspective, if you're fully extended, yeah, you know, all that force that's in your fingers, you know, you've got that whole distance from, you know, where you're attached to the rock to your shoulder joint, that's just multiplying the force. So, you know. Yeah, foot pops off and forces are massive. Yep, it's not good. And most of you out there have shit footwork. I've seen most of you rock climb. So, yeah. um, so. I might be part of that group sometimes. <laughs> Actually, I say that as today I had a foot blow in the middle of a hard move yep. and crashed down on my shoulder, yep. but it was fine. Yep. It, you know, I was able to catch it, reel it back in, and keep climbing. Maybe it was strength training. Who knows? Could have been strength training. <laughs> <clears throat> so why why strength training instead of like? doing a million little band exercises and all of these little weird prehab internet sensation type exercises? Um, strength training is going to kind of put you in a context that's going to be a little bit more um, relatable to what you're doing actually outside. You know, a lot of those band exercises will train your stabilizing muscles as movers. You know, you'll see those internal external rotations ad infinitum. They're great, but at some point, you know, let's, and we're, we've been talking about the shoulders a bunch, so we'll just use that as our an example. Your rotator cuff's meant to stabilize and pull that arm, the, the humeral head, into the shoulder socket and keep it from moving up, down, forward, back, but keeping it centered in the joint. And, you know, a lot of those band exercises, and this is just one example, um, train those muscles to create movement instead of resist movement and keep stuff in place. So, you mm-hmm. know, strength training, say just we'll take an overhead press for an example. You're using, you know, your deltoid muscles and a lot of other muscles responsible for getting a weight overhead and your rotator cuffs being recruited as well to keep that humeral head centered in the shoulder socket and, you know, keep everything, you know, where it should be in a way similar to when you're climbing and pulling, you know, you're not really rotating out against the wall with your rotator cuff. You're pulling hard with your lats or your posterior deltoid, something like that. But your rotator cuff's working to keep everything where it should be in the joint, keeping everything nice and centered. So right. strength training is a good analog to that. Right. And it's not like when we're climbing, we're isolating the rotator cuff right. while Using we do movements. Whole, it's, yeah. it's all working together. Yep. So why not learn that way under a controlled load that's... Mm-hmm. You know that gets heavier and heavier as yeah, you go, exactly. That's, that's, <clears throat> or more and more volume, or whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah, then that's kind of I guess the whole key to all of it is you can plan your volume or plan your intensity, and you know slowly build that over time. And you know one of the key principles of strength training is it's the uh, said principle, which is specific adaptation to impose demand. So you know you choose the demand you impose on those tissues, right? And you that's can how you select that adaptation. Yep. Yep. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we, we have been using the shoulder as an example, but this applies to knees and hips yep. and anything, any, any part of your body. You know, we use it all climbing. And you might hear people always talking about shoulder injuries or elbow injuries, but we hear just as many people with knee injuries, yeah. hip injuries. I mean, you I know. bet everybody out here has heard of someone who's, you know, thrown a heel hook and pulled too hard. Yeah. Felt the hamstring pop, felt the knee get a little grumpy or a lot grumpy. Yep. Yeah. So it's not just, yeah, the upper body. The lower body is definitely a big factor in our yep. climbing performance. Yeah. Super important. I heard, um, Crimp, if you're out there, I heard you at the crag today say that you're, I know you were joking, but maybe you weren't. I can never tell with you, but say... <laughs> I'm super strong, actually. I can bench press my body weight. And I'm like, well, you know, that's part of being strong. But there's a lot more than just bench pressing, especially for a rock climber. You have to be strong in a lot of ways. Actually, most of that is more than just bench pressing if you're a rock climber, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Not picking on you, Cramp, but nope. you know you know, we love you. And uh, so what about climbers who are injured already? Should they strength train? I think... You know, that's I know a, that's a loaded question. I would but. say you need to see someone with doctor in front of your name first, or in front of their name first. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if you are cleared and you're working with a either the clinician or someone the clinician has referred you to, strength training could be a great way to start kind of getting back to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I agree. And there are some great climber doctors out there who would recommend this and they're great people to see so Mm -hmm. look into those people 
Um, one of the you know, that kind of leads us right into number four because we're we're talking about strengthening big muscle groups and sort of building armor. I've always liked the the term building armor around your joints. Who is that? Dan John has the armor building complex. I yeah, think that's who yep, that is. I yeah. think you're right. And and that brings it to number four, which is it sort of saves the time on your fingers and on your on the tendons. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, if you're able to generate more force through your legs, pull with your feet more, um, you know, throw that heel and not have the knee explode on you. Yeah, and um, understand how to pull with your lat instead of just yarding with yeah. your shoulder and your elbow. Bringing your elbow you know. up towards your ear. Yep. And, yeah. But yeah, using your big muscles, you know, your glutes and your hamstrings and your lats are some of the biggest muscles in your body. And if you're not utilizing those to the highest ability possible, you're going to just keep moving further up that chain to rely on smaller, um, not less important, but they're less strong muscles. So you're going to have to be, it, it doesn't make sense to use the smaller muscles to generate a whole lot of force when you can practice using the larger muscles to take a lot of that burden off. Yeah. And that's, we covered a lot of this in a previous episode with you where we talked about why you should use good form when strength training. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people are just under the impression that like, oh, if I lift more weight, I lift more weight. It doesn't matter about good form. And, you know, to some degree, there's a little bit of truth in there, but learning good form while lifting weights if lifting weights is not your sport then that's just going to help you learn how to pull with the bigger muscles or drive off the bigger muscles when you're rock climbing or just even develop the ability to keep the ideal body shape while you're trying to pull like how many times you see people kind of collapse forward in that hunch position when they're pulling hard instead of staying tall keeping the chest out um you know, I'm working with some folks in Chattanooga right now who have some shoulder issues. If they hunch forward, round out, let those shoulders go. But, you know, over the last couple of months, they've worked on keeping everything, you know, tucked nice and back um, when appropriate, keeping the chest up and tall. Yeah. And um, that lets them not only generate more power, but their shoulders feel a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers are our attachment to the rock. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, we want the fingers to get strong. So why is it important to have less time on them and save them so you can use why shouldn't them? we just i mean daniel woods got all fucking swole by just pulling on little holds why shouldn't we uh most of us aren't daniel woods we don't have <laughs> we don't have that adaptation what do you um, mean? ability or genetic <clears throat> mutants and freaks and um uh yeah you know um you know a lot of us like to go outside and rock climb a whole bunch and I think, you know, especially with fingers, minimal effective dose is the best way to really go about it. Do what you need to do to get it stronger. Be patient with it. Do it frequently, but not a lot. Um, You know, because, you know, you got a lot of tendons and non-muscular, musculature involved in all that. And those adapt a lot slower where we can spend more time working up the chain, you know, our shoulders, lats, glutes, hamstrings, which will also feed forward into being able to pull harder, and climb harder moves without using as much of the non-muscular tissue in our fingers and attachment points. Right. And Daniel Woods has been climbing since he was three or four mm-hmm. and his body's developed specifically to rock climb because that's what he's, Yes. that's the demands he's given it, you right. know? And, and unless you've done that, your body's just not going to respond the same way. So it's a really slow way to making your body stronger. Right. I mean, you. It can be done if you've got the time. It's great, but yeah. you know, a lot of us at the at certain points in our lives, we don't have that time anymore. Yeah, and if you're starting climbing at twenty, thirty, forty, or later, your fingers need more time mm-hmm. off. Yes, they're not going to take the same sort of volume that Daniel Woods did when he was ten years old. You're you not going to be stressing that as you go through puberty because I don't know about right. you, but I don't get a second puberty coming. So. <laughs> no, I don't think I do. I hope, oh God, I hope I don't. That would, that would not uh, be ideal. Gross. <laughs> <clears throat> and any other, like when you're strength training, I've, I've seen some people make this mistake and this is kind of, kind of ties into this. How do you feel about doing things that combine the two? Like, small edge 
weighted pull-ups and things like that. Is that the same? Is that a middle ground that maybe we shouldn't even be in? How do you feel about things like that? Combining fingers plus big muscle strength. I think they're appropriate at certain points in a training program. Like we'll have people do, or I'll have people do, you know, we'll do our strength training mixed in with some fingerboard work, um, kind of all together, kind of superset or groups of three. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Steve Bechtel has yep, proposed a lot of things strength, similar to that. Yep. And, you know, I've gotten that idea pretty much directly from him. Yeah. And there. it's a great way to schedule a session. And I think, you know, building through all that, but I think, you know, after a cycle of that, um, some moderate weighted fingerboard poles are a good way to go about it. I know we've, we've talked with Blake about that. He likes those a lot. I like mm-hmm. those a lot. Um, I think they're appropriate. I don't think they're the foundational way to go about that. I think they're kind of a good icing on the cake after a, you know, six to eight week plan building a foundation below that. Yeah. Um, I don't think, so I don't think they're necessarily wrong. I just think that it needs to be applied at the right time and place. Yep, I agree. I like, I like isometrics for finger strength. Mm-hmm. Like if you're just focused on that. And then I really prefer movement based strength training. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know some people are really into isometrics and they can be really effective. I've seen some of the research on it, but climbing is a movement sport. So you're not going to be holding a position for more than a couple seconds at mm-hmm. a time. Ideally, right. if you are, you're either on sighting or you're doing something really wrong most of the time. And yeah. You know? There's some really interesting things <clears throat> happening with isometric stuff going on right mm-hmm, now. I mean, totally. we've, we've all seen it out there. Um, I think they're going to be really useful going forward, especially with assessing and testing and kind of yep. getting a good profile of where people are starting a training program coming out of a training program but just like everything they're a piece of the puzzle they're not the whole puzzle yeah and i think they're valuable and i'm excited to keep digging into it and learning more about it and sure yeah because it's it's going to be a valuable tool yep yeah yeah i think so and i do like to combine the two like you said as kind of icing this you know you've you've trained these isometric finger strength exercises you've trained movement strength training and then combining the two with heavy edge pull-ups or mm-hmm. something like that can just help people break through that sort of a, a mind, a mental block of I can hold this hole, but I can't move off of it. Right. You know, if you just get them started moving for a few sessions, yeah, they're usually good to go. Yeah, and a lot of that's just habit. You know, you've gotten so used to hanging a hold and just, you know, <clears throat> enduring, not letting your hands open up or keeping that good hand shape, keeping the half cramp. You know, in climbing, you're not just there. You've got to move off of it. So just a lot of times just breaking that pattern of, you know, yep. I'm not just holding this handshape, but I need to actually do something with it. So right. it's more a coordination aspect than anything. Totally. And that that's why I really appreciate mm-hmm. movement in general. Yep. Um, that takes us right into number three. Um, saving your fingers and your tendons is one of the things we really focus on because it's so easy to injure fingers. And I've talked about this in several episodes now. We see a lot of young climbers who learn to climb in the gym, learn to just launch to holds when they're tiny. And then as their bodies get heavier and they're climbing on smaller holds as they get better, they launch to holds, crash down on holds, and they're just destroying their fingers. You know, the forces get multiplied massively wrecking their tendons fingers shoulders as they you know lose the hand and yeah. the shoulder comes out and like, it all just gets wrecked and one thing that we really love strength training for is our number three which is tension development mm-hmm. um, talk to me a little bit about kind of the and this is sort of the core of our rooting uh, drills and our practices but talk to me a little bit about kind of the core fundamentals of Core fundamentals is not a pun. Totally sounds like it should have core been. Core fundamentals of core tension. Wish I'd have is that caught that say? as I was saying <laughs> it, but I didn't. Um, yeah, talk to me about those core fundamentals. Yeah, so I think, you know, in terms of strength training for tension, and we even say, we even talk about it in the description for our rooting exercises, it's kind of a nebulous concept at first. There's a mm-hmm. lot going on, you know. There's a lot going on just with the, ten- with the uh, rooting drill, and then you take into account 
how wildly different different boulder problems can be right next to each other. Right. Like, there's a lot to consider. Yeah, Strength I just training. had somebody the other day say, there aren't any boulders in my gym suitable for rooting. And I was like, there aren't any boulders in your gym not suitable for rooting. Sure. So. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, it's, there, it's all different and it's going to be tough to take like a repeatable, um, a repeatable drill in a different context every time you get on the wall. And that's where strength training to practice the skill of developing tension can be really handy. Cause you know, every time you do a single leg deadlift, you're doing a single leg deadlift. That right. skill, that movement is the same, <clears throat> so, you know, over time with repeated repetitions, you can get better zero in on certain points where you're losing some tension or where, you know, maybe the hips are shooting up faster than the knee or something like that. So, you know, it's a great way to kind of simplify the task to really focus on the skill. Um, simplify the task to focus. That's a really cool way to say it. Yeah. It takes a second for my brain to wrap around that, but but it totally is. It's, it's not as complicated as climbing. Mm-mm. So you're simplifying what you're doing so that you can focus on tension and that includes breathing it includes not just your core you know i know core was some silly punny thing there but it's not just your core there's Mm -hmm. tension all the way from your toes how you contact the ground to your fingertips exactly you know and that's that you really learn by learning to move really fucking heavy weights yep because you can't do it without that sort of tension Absolutely. You know, you just take a heavy barbell deadlift. Let's just kind of look at what's involved there. You've got to drive through your feet. You've got to feel your whole foot. So, you know, you're not just rocking back on your heels, having your toes come up off the ground because then you're going to fall backwards mm-hmm. and or lose your positioning. You've got to extend through your glutes and hamstrings, straighten your knees. You've got to keep a tight core throughout it and at the top to make sure you don't either fold forward or extend too much. Um, you've got to keep your shoulders plugged in and back. Um, so you, again, so you don't round out at the upper back and you've got to keep your hands and grip engaged so the bar doesn't roll out of your hands. Yep. So, you know, but at the same time, that's different than your left foot's on a small foothold, your right foot's on a sloping foothold that's pointing away from you while you have to turn that right knee in, make sure you push away with the left hand and hit the two finger pocket right where you need to hit it as opposed to missing it. Um, and then, you know, catching that holding the swing, bring your foot in. I'm just trying to think of a really complicated climbing sure. move because yeah, you know, yeah. there's, there's, there's so a lot many going parts on there. to it. Yeah. And, and, you know, <clears throat> you do that, then you have to do that another tension move, which is everything's going to be different than the move you just did before. Yep. Where in a deadlift, you know, you did rep one, cool. We're going to do another rep that's the exact same thing. Cool, try and tighten everything up we just did. Nothing's going to change movement-wise. Just try and get a little bit better this next rep. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, you just kind of brought up a really important point that with climbing, the moves change every single move, you know, unless you're really honing in on some project where you're just being repetitive, which is totally fine. But even then, move number one is a different sort of tension than move number two is different than move number three. And you have to be able to apply it through all of these body positions. And even when you learn it through strength training, it still has to be practiced when you move to climbing. I hear some people get frustrated when they've gone through a cycle of lifting weights, um, getting stronger, you know, objectively they've gotten stronger and then they go out and they climb and they do one session and they're like, it didn't work. It's not transferring. I don't feel any stronger while I'm climbing. And I'm like, you had to practice that for three months. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to, in one day, switch to a different sport and all of a sudden it's there. You're going to have to practice how to do it. You've got more ability. Like you've, you've leveled up your, uh, your, your, your ability to create that tension and be stronger. Now you have to learn to apply it. And that can take some time. For some people, it happens really quickly, Mm -hmm. especially if you've practiced it in the past. For some people, it's a little slower, and that's totally fine. But tension is a a practiced thing, whether it's a simpler task, and and I'm not saying simple task, but a simpler task like a deadlift. Yeah, simple doesn't mean easy. Simple doesn't mean not effective. Totally. A lot of times, simpler is the better way to go about things. 
Absolutely. So. And I think it is. You learn it simple and then you gradually apply it to more and more complex mm-hmm. movements. And the cool thing about simple strength training too is, you know, strength gains stick around for a while. So it's important not to, like you said, lose your mind or panic when, you know, your first day out after a training <clears throat> cycle, things don't go well. You know, right. that, that your raw ability to generate force, which is kind of what you've been doing with strength training, you know, generate force in a coordinated way. That's not going to disappear after two days. Right. You know. And the other good news is that, you know, back to number four on our list, the f- I don't know about you, but the first thing generally to get really fatigued on me are my skin and my fingers. Yep. So if I want to save my fingers and still be able to train, still be able to get stronger during my training cycle, then going in and swinging some heavy, heavy kettlebells yep. or or lifting heavy things off the floor is a really, really good alternative to going bouldering again. Absolutely. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Uh, you want to take a break before we move on to number two? Sure, let's do it. All right, break. Hey, everybody. Chris here again. I just wanted to give you all a few updates on what's coming up in spring of 2019. Actually, two days from now, I leave for Australia, where I'll be doing Oz Tour 2019. That includes live podcasts at Sydney Indoor Climbing Gym Villawood and at North Walls in Melbourne. Um, I'll also be doing workshops at both of those gyms, plus at Nine Degrees Lane Cove, Urban Climb Collingwood, and at Portside Boulders in Perth. Uh, I'm also running a coaching workshop at Portside. Uh, you can register for all of those at powercompanyclimbing.com slash Tour. I hope to see all of you out there. And if you see me at the crags around Australia, please come and say hello. Um, shortly after I return from Australia, Nate and I will be teaching a pre-conference workshop at the CWA Summit in Loveland, Colorado. And that will be titled Coaching Tools for Growth. That's on May 15th. Um, I'll also be speaking at one of the conference sessions um, titled Quality Practice and Growth Mindset. You can register for the CWA and you should if you are a coach or in the indoor climbing industry at climbingwallsummit.org. Hope to see you all there. One more thing this coming spring, the Performance Climbing Coach Seminar is on again May 18th to 20th in Fort Collins, Colorado. That's immediately after the CWA Summit. Early bird pricing is still available. So if you want to save some money, get in on that. We've got all the regular coaches. We've added a few more. You should go check out everything that's going on at the Performance Climbing Coach Seminar at performanceclimbingcoach.com. All right, back to the show. And we are back. Uh, Paul just handed me a 10 Fitty Imperial Stout. Yes, Fitty with a D. I wasn't just talking like I'm a rapper still. Wait, you rapped? I rapped. (laughs) 10 Fitty Imperial Stout. Imperial Stout. I can't even talk. Shout out Oscar Blues Brewery. We don't have sponsors on the podcast, but we will accept free beer, Oscar Blues, (laughs) just so you know. Um, All right. We are on our number two. And, you know, I I get a ton of emails from people telling me that they want to train and these are the things they need. And the number one thing I hear is, I need more power. I need more power. I've been campusing, but I'm not getting any more powerful. I don't understand. What do people need, Paul, to gain power? They need some strength. Say it again. They need some strength. They need some motherfucking strength. Y'all need to be stronger to get more powerful. It's just a fact. That's the way that it works. Power is strength times speed. Yep. Mm -hmm. So all of you who aren't strong physically strong if you can't move heavy weights and you get on the campus board you might learn to campus better but you're not necessarily going to be gaining much power because Mm -hmm. you haven't gotten stronger and it's debatable whether you gain power through campusing anyway depending on how you're doing it that's another podcast Mm -hmm. so 
let's talk a little more about that. Why do we need power, first off? You know, um, as routes get harder, as boulders get harder, things being less static or things are going to be less static or you're going to have to be a bit more punchy to hold yeah. or explode off your feet. <clears throat> Just, you know, that's going to be the most efficient way to do certain moves. Um, you know, so it's going to increase your success of climbing a boulder. Um, and totally. You, know, you look at the best boulders in the world and, you know, I once wrote a blog that if if there were any blog I would take back, it would probably be this one. However, I still do stand by it for the majority of climbers that jumping is hurting your climbing. I think most people use it as a crutch, but jumping is also a skill and being powerful while you climb is a skill. And if you watch climbers like Jimmy Webb, um, even Daniel Woods, even though he can lock shit down at his waist better than any other climber on the planet. He still jumps a lot. He's also a really powerful climber. Mm -hmm. um, and he can employ that when he needs it because he's strong. And you look at any of today's top boulders and they are super strong, but they also know how to use power. Not so, even just bouldering, you know, climbing certain sections on a route, it might be more efficient sure. to cut feet, move fast through sections instead of doing a slow, you know, slow, long lock off for three moves in a row instead mm -hmm. of just jumping through two. You know, it's going to be faster, maybe a bit more explosive in the short run, but you're saving a lot of energy as you work through that route. Yeah. And I think so many people make the mistake of saying, I need more power. I'm going to the campus board because I've heard that's the way to get more power. But if you don't improve your strength first, it's just not going to happen. So in my opinion, like the campus board should be in the back of the weight room at the gym. You should have to walk past all the weights to get to the campus board to remind you that you need to get stronger. Campus board can be a good power tool, but I think it's a really good demonstration of the power you already have. Yeah. Yep. You can strength train for a while and not touch a campus board, and you go out to the campus board and you'll probably hit a PR. You'll probably get that 147 or 159 or something like that. Yep. Yeah, without with a even touching of, it. Yep. With a little bit of coordination practice, yep. you're definitely going to. Yep. Like learning to use the campus board. So I would suggest for all of you people who think I need to be more powerful, don't go straight to that damn campus board. You're... If you think you need to be more powerful, you're likely to get hurt on the campus board. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I've got a campus board in, my, in the machine shop. So I think it's a valuable tool. Um, I don't necessarily use it in the classic way. Um, so yeah, it's, I think ignore the campus board for a while and get stronger. Lift some weights. Yeah, so you know, um, going back to the equation where power is force times speed, you know, um, instead of just working on the speed aspect of it or the power aspect of it, just focus on that F, the force part. If you yep. make that bigger, everything else is going to rise. Yep. Um, or power is force times time, technically. So if you bring up your force, your time of that movement is going to go down. So you're going to be more powerful that way. Yeah, and you can practice that in your climbing. Practice learning to move faster, learning to pull the trigger, learning to apply that force that you've learn right. through weight climbing, which is something we've already talked a little about. Yep, absolutely. So that's our number two. If you want to get more powerful, you're going to have to get stronger first. Yep. All right, we are on to our number one reason why climbers should strength train. And uh, I should probably say right here that while we did decide on an order here, depending on who you are, that order could change. You mm -hmm. know, For me, I think this is the number one reason. I had strength trained and spent enough time in other sports that required tension enough in my athletic career that the top the top four weren't quite as important for me as this one. Mm -hmm. But any of you who listen to the podcast know already that I've battled with learning to really give 100%. And learning to try hard is quite a bit easier. Like you said before, with the tension development, 
if the task is simpler. Yeah. It creates yeah, it creates a less complicated context for doing stuff. Like, you know, you know, when you're doing a hard deadlift, you don't have to worry about being above your bolt. Don't have to worry about falling, you know, even if you're not worried about falling, you don't have to worry about boinking up after falling. Right. Um, you're not you know. limited in that situation by this slopey hold and the humidity yep. and just sliding off. You know, you get to, you, you have a great opportunity to really learn to give it all mm-hmm. and try really fucking hard. Yep. And, you know, <clears throat> if you've ever done a heavy near limit deadlift, it feels like that rep takes forever. It yeah. Like you're trying really hard for grind an hour out. and you yeah. look at the video and it's like, oh, I picked it up in a second and a half. Right. But it goes to show how time is indeed relative. But yeah, it's good to, uh, it's a good, uh, good context for trying hard. And how long do you think in someone's strength training journey, how long do you see it normally take them to get to? really trying hard because there's definitely some like learning the form getting comfortable oh now i'm picking up heavy weights and still making gains like every week i would say if you're coming into it completely new six to eight six to eight weeks because you know you've got a good you could probably build a good three to four weeks in of you know working on sets of five to eight at least you know working on where it's you know say if 10 is the hard 10 out of 10 is the hardest thing you've ever done Working up to maybe sets where maybe at eight out of ten is kind of where you're looking at. Right. And you know, after six weeks of that, yeah, maybe it's time to start looking at maybe a two rep max or a three rep max. And you know, it's cool to get one rep maxes. And you know, I'll be the first to say I like to test my one rep max on things from time to time. I think from a performance side of things, I think a three rep max is going to be a better viewpoint of where you're at. You know, very rarely in climbing do we have to be do we have to demonstrate limit level strength right. just once? Yeah. We need to do it over and over again. And also just a three rep max is going to be a bit safer. Too. Yeah, um, totally. I just had an athlete recently, um, 13-year-old athlete, mind you, who is very intelligent about her, her climbing and her training. <clears throat> her coaches had told her, just try harder. You're not trying hard enough. And she asked me, I'm pretty sure if I try harder, I'm going to hurt myself. Climbing wise or climbing? Gotcha. Climbing. And, and she's probably right. You know, I've watched her climb enough that she tries really, really hard. Um, and I think that's, that's an important thing to understand, but not many climbers do understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we tend to go, like you just said, in your first cycle of strength training, You might go, <clears throat> Jesus Christ. I can just cut it out, babe. <laughs> <laughs> you go, you tend to get to about 80%, 8 out of 10. And that's still sport climbing level. You know, that's not two move, three move bouldering. That's in the like 90 to 100%, rarely to 100%, but in the 90% zone. So 80% could still be a relatively moderate sport climb. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, or if, for instance, if you're a V10 is your very top level, how many V8s have you done? You know, that's 80%. So that's what most people hit in their four-week right. cycle. So what I heard you saying there was, if you're only lifting weights for four weeks, don't expect that that's taught you to try really, really hard yet. Right. You know, and a lot of other proponents of strength training and climbing have said that, you know, we're looking at 10 to 12 weeks for the changes to happen to really stick around. Like, you know, right. isn't something you can do a couple weeks here and there and expect to, you may see some, some changes happen, but you know, you're not expected to see lasting changes stick around unless you really kind of commit you know, 10 to 12 weeks of actual training and stuff like that. How much do you think that this, like, give it all, try hard is a neurological thing versus, and, and, you know, fibers being recruited versus just learning to to really try hard. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that, I mean, I think, I think this a little, is a tough thing for people. I think it's a little of both. I think it starts with the physiological aspect of it. Like, you know, we've got these, 
um, organs in our muscles are in series with the muscles called our Golgi tendon organs, which respond to, you know, the tension our muscles generate. And they're kind of like the restrictor plates for how much right. force we can generate. Yep. And over time, these can be desensitized to the tension in our muscles. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you generate a lot of tension frequently with your muscles, so what the Golgi tendon organ, organ does is it works on a reflex with your spinal cord and your nervous system and all that to help not necessarily help, but it will limit the amount of tension you can generate. Right. In, re in reflection to the tension you are trying to generate. So yeah, it, sort of a governor. Exactly. Yep. So if you strength train a lot, you, that organ can get desensitized, so you're getting less of that governor and less of that restriction on the force you can generate. So from a pure just force express, expression viewpoint, you'll be able to try harder that way. And at the same time, you're going to be able to work on the mental aspect of being comfortable with the feeling of trying hard. Because, you know, if you're not used to that, that's a scary thing to scary thing to feel like, especially on climbing where you hear stories about people getting hurt and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah. at your limit, it's scary when you're trying hard on, you know, a small edge and yep. doing a big pull off of two fingers or something like that. So I think, you know, they both play a, play a part. That's another one where I think it depends on the person. Yeah. And I know there's been no research into this, or my guess is that there's been no research into this. I've not seen or heard of any. Do you think that the Golgi tendon organ, which essentially is playing safety for you, like it thinks if I produce this amount of force at this moment, it's unsafe. So I'm not going to allow it through strength training you convince it that it's safe and it allows you to do more and more and more do you think that transfers over to situations in climbing as well this is just theoretical i think so as in where it plays like kind of a governor yeah. on like certain climbing moves or yeah and then if you've released that governor a little bit through strength training do you think that then transfers over to harder moves in climbing like i have I to so, apply this amount of force i think so because i don't think your lat really knows whether you're climbing or doing a really hard pull down sure. in a row or something like that sure we know and you know there's a lot more that's simplifying it an incredible amount but you know your muscle doesn't have a brain in it yeah know, so and i think that goes and all I'm, the way back i'm to, hypothesizing again you sure know, research could come out or we could stumble across research that says i'm mm. um, I reserve the right to be wrong here, but totally, totally. We but, we reserve the right to be wrong in all several hundred I, of these podcast episodes. Yeah, but I think so. I think <sighs> you know that's kind of why we have try hard skill as you know that number one is. I think that's a if we had to kind of dig to find a physiological or another sort of that sort of viewpoint on this. I think that's why. Yeah, and I think that you know kind of harkens back to our number four where we talked about learning to really use the big muscles as opposed to just yarding off your fingers because like you just said your lat doesn't know yeah if you're pulling on an edge or on a pull down bar or rowing a barbell mm -hmm. um, so if you've learned to use your lat and you've learned to if you've gone really heavy and you've taken that governor to new levels where it's saying okay this is safe this this level is safe now this level is safe now this even heavier level is safe and it's allowing you to do these things then when you get on an edge and have to pull that governor doesn't say nope this is unsafe yeah and then you'll pull as hard as you can and end up half of the way there you'll pull as hard as you can and you'll get all the way there cause yeah you're because you're pulling with your lat instead of just with your fingers yeah or just expressing the amount of force you need to get there instead right. of just limiting the amount of force. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. I'd never really thought about, you know, I, I'd heard the Golgi tendon organ referenced with like campus work, yeah. um, trying to desensitize it, so to speak, mm -hmm. to, you know, to use the term that you were using, but I'd never really thought about it with strength training and, um, yeah. So it's and how that transfers. Yeah, it's basically just the tension regulator or parking brake, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, you know, for me, this was something really, really important. And I already mentioned that, but 
I think a lot of climbers don't understand that they aren't trying hard. So can we just spend a few seconds defining what trying hard is? Because there there is a big difference between maximum effort and and exhausting yourself. Like try hard is not I've been doing the same move for the last 45 minutes and I can no longer hold on and I fail. That's not trying hard. Trying hard is giving 100% effort over just a few seconds. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of climbers miss that. Especially where, I mean, we're in the Red River Gorge right now. So trying hard here is getting really pumped. And hanging, hanging on, on for as long as you moves, can. And then doing more moves. And, and to then, me, that's what trying hard was yeah. for years. That's what I thought trying hard was. And it is, it is giving an extreme effort, but it's not giving maximum effort. It's giving a very moderate amount of effort over a long period of time. And that's a whole different thing than we're talking about. And you can learn that via strength training mm-hmm. as well. Agreed. Would you think trying hard has a different definition for where people started rock climbing say that say that again so say someone or how they started rock climbing so say someone bouldered and has only Mm, bouldered for you know for their life and then they went to the red river gorge and you know where the demands of climbing for most of the routes you know you're always going to find exceptions but for most of those routes are a little bit different and, you know, a five-move maximum effort boulder problem. Would you say? I do think they have different definitions. However, I think that as climbers, like, being taught that we should always try to be as efficient as possible sort of skews a lot of people away from learning to try really hard. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to find a way to smooth the move out, or at least, I, and this is totally me talking through my lens, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always looking for a way to make it smoother, a way to make it easier. Yeah. That's starting to change. And, and actually, I think you might've seen a little of that today with like, oh, I'm just going to revert to the jump, yeah. see if the jump works. I'm going to be more powerful through this move. And then thinking, oh, I think the jump is the way. Like, I'm just, as soon as I try it, I'm like, that's the way. That's easier. Mm -hmm. Me, three years ago, did not think the jump was easier. Me, three years ago, was like, I'm going to do everything I can for the next week and a half to try to avoid this fucking jump. So I think learning to really try hard in that one moment is something important that a lot of rock climbers just never get. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, strength training is definitely a way to do that. Yeah, for me, it's it's been huge. Mm-hmm. You know, really lifting heavy weights, um, coming back to that after having done it as a as a teenager mostly and young twenties, um, learning it then, but then coming back to it now that I've that I've learned how to be a good climber, mm-hmm. and then apply that okay, I can try really hard to pick this really heavy weight up off the floor. Now I can try really hard to coordinate the tension and the movement to make this move happen. And Those two a, are really similar. And you're not alone. We've had a lot of people down in Chattanooga who've started lifting weights and stuff, and they've realized <clears throat> that they've been able to try harder on boulders around the Chattanooga area just yeah. from – you know, making that association between trying hard lifting weights and not even necessarily the same muscle groups, but finding that same feeling, you know, it's again, it's a nebulous concept, but finding that same feeling and, you know, pulling through stuff and, you know, making a bigger reach or driving through those feet a little more and just being a bit more uncomfortable and being okay with it. Yeah. And it's a practice thing, right? Like getting uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and still putting, a, a big amount of effort in mm-hmm. is a practice thing. And in Chattanooga, you guys have summers that <laughs> fucking suck yeah. for rock climbing. Like nobody's going outside rock climbing unless they are just trying to do a bunch of easy volume or they're really gluttons for punishment. Yeah. But if they come into crux conditioning, then they can 
lift heavy barbells, swing heavy kettlebells, do heavy hangboard sets. Grab wooden holds on a tension board. and Yeah. Yeah. And learn how to practice how to keep that try hard going mm-hmm. over those summer months when going outside is all about I'm going to be sliding off of the holds every moment, yep. you know, and you don't actually, you never get to try hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's just, it's a good way to keep, keep <clears throat> that aspect of your climbing game sharp. I hadn't thought about your facility that way until just now. And that makes it even more important in my mind. Yep. So if you're in chatty, check out crux conditioning, most definitely. Um, people can find you on the Instagrams, Facebooks, yep. Crux Conditioning on Crux both. Conditioning. Yep. yep. So follow Paul on there. Um, he's got great videos. I won't call them motivational videos because that's a whole sub genre <laughs> of its own. But you see people working out early in the morning and really getting after it. And for me, that is motivational to get my ass in the gym. And you can find us at, you can find you as well at cruxconditioning.com. Yep. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, and check out the, oh, it just fucking slipped my mind. What is it, the, what was the blog series you were doing? Oh, Bullet Points and a Brew. Bullet Points and Brews, yeah. Check that out. Paul's a beer man. He he loves good beer, and he just brought me, like I mentioned before, this 1050 Oscar Blues. Holla at your boy. Um, And it just pairs some bullet points about what he's seen with a good beer that he's recently checked out so check that out cruxconditioning.com cruxconditioning on facebook and instagram you can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com on the facebooks on the instagrams at powercompanyclimbing are you on twitter i'm not (laughs) oh that's perfect because we don't tweet we scream like eagles This time, this time, It's time to finish.